battle for our hearts. It's a series that we're in, and we're looking at the different idols that, that are battling for the throne of our hearts that want to kick God off the throne and rule us and control us and drive us and motivate us. We've been working with this working definition of an idol as something that we love more than God, trust more than God, and obey more than God. And as we've been looking and we've considered that definition of what an idol is, uh, you may be sitting there thinking, anything can be an idol with that definition. And it's true. Anything can be an idol. Even the good things in our lives can become idols if we love it more than God, trust it more than God, and obey it more than God. And that's the danger of idols. Because idols promise us fulfillment. Idols promise us contentment. Idols promise us the opportunity to be satisfied and happy. And they say, just trust me. Just trust me. And so we follow them. We go after them. We strive for them only to not be happy, not be satisfied, and we're discontent. That's a danger of idols. And, and maybe we see that most clearly in the idol that we're focusing on today, the idol of love. Our culture loves love. It loves love. We have a day to celebrate love, Valentine's Day. There are plenty of songs that deal with love and the feelings of love and wanting love and pursuing love and, and the idea being behind all those songs that if you just find love, you'll be happy. And some of those songs talk about things that you would do for love, which is where the title of today came from. Would you do anything for love? Because one of the greatest love ballads, as everybody knows, is I Would Do Anything for Love by Meatloaf. And what does Meatloaf say? How far would he go to have love, to find love? He'd run right into hell and back. He's pretty dedicated to finding and having love. But what about you? Would you do anything for love? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to see three basic questions that we're going to answer today is what is behind this desire for love? What's the danger of it, this idol? And what's the solution? And to talk all about this, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 29, the very first, first book of the Bible. Uh, it was written by Moses. God directed him how to write it. Uh, and in, in the history of where we're at, here's the Genesis 12 through 29. Basic summary. God promised a Savior in Genesis 3.15 right after Adam and Eve sinned uh, and did what the devil told them not to. From there, in Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham from his family line, from the Jewish family line, the Savior of the world would come. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Esau and Jacob. He had two sons. Esau and Jacob. Esau the older. In that culture, the older son got the inheritance. Man, this fly is bothering me. Esau, the oldest son, was supposed to get the inheritance. 
Uh, support, my goodness gracious. All right, we're just going to ignore it from now on, okay? So act like it's not there. I'm going to act like it's not there. It'll be good. The older son's supposed to get the inheritance, and in this case, also the promise that the Savior of the world would come from that line. Esau was supposed to be that guy. Jacob deceived his blind father Isaac into giving him the family blessing. That meant not only would he get the majority of the inheritance, he'd also get the promise of a Savior from his family line. Esau hears about it. Esau gets upset and says, I'm planning on killing my brother as soon as dad dies. Jacob hears about this plan. He takes off to a distant land where his uncle Laban is living. And he stays with Uncle Laban. And that's where we pick up. He's working for Uncle Laban, making Uncle Laban tons of money. And here's what happens. Genesis chapter 29, beginning with verse 14. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. All right, so Jacob is living with his uncle Laban. Laban says, look, you shouldn't be working for free. Name your price. Jacob doesn't want land. He doesn't want money. He doesn't want possessions. He wants a wife. And Laban's got two. And notice how these two are described. Rachel, lovely in figure and beautiful. But Leah had weak eyes. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, Moses is not wanting us to know that she needed contacts or that she didn't have 20-20 vision. Um, that's not the point of the comparison, is it? Rachel is beautiful and lovely in figure, and Leah has weak eyes. Most likely, there's something wrong with Leah's eyes that make her unattractive. She's not a beautiful lady. And Jacob was in love with Rachel. And he says, Uncle Laban, yes, cousin Rachel, which is weird for us today, I know, I, will, I want cousin Rachel as my wife. That's what I want, and I'm willing to work seven years for it. And notice what Laban says. Does he say yes? Not really. He says, well, better to give her to you than some other guy. Deals in place. And Jacob goes to work for seven years. And notice what the author says. Those seven years seem like a matter of days because of his love for Rachel. It's like something from the, a Hallmark movie. Uh, I always picture when I read this line, the notebook, when uh, what's-his-name is building that house and, and going through all this work, and uh, I picture like he's going to work, and this, there, there's this scene where the guy is working, and the narrator comes over the, the scene and says, he worked for seven years, but it seemed like a matter of days because of his love for her. How romantic. The seven years are complete. Here's what we're told. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, 
My time is completed and I want to make love to her. Not so romantic. <laughs> Probably not going to find this line in a Hallmark movie. Uh, guys, imagine saying this to your father-in-law or your future father-in-law. This is cringeworthy, awkward. And yet that's what he says. And here's what happens. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. Laban deceives Jacob. How does this happen? Wouldn't it be obvious? In that culture, it was customary for the bride to wear a veil the entire wedding day. So she's veiled the entire day. There's a party that takes place. Most likely wine is flowing. Jacob probably had too much to drink. He goes to bed at night when it's dark in his tent. And Leah is there, but he can't see her from the darkness, from the drinking, until he wakes up in the morning. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I have served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why did you deceive me? Why have you deceived me? Oh, the irony. What did Jacob just do seven years before this? Deceived dad. Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. This is messed up stuff, isn't it? Uh, and nobody's really the hero. This is something that you'd see on Jerry Springer. Both daughters marry the same man. Two sisters marrying the same guy. That's what happened. And it didn't wait a whole nother seven years. The one bridal week, the one honeymoon week with Leah finished, and Rachel was given to Jacob to be his wife the very next week. And this is their new reality. Now, up until this point, we, we've been focused a, a lot on Jacob, but here's who I really want to focus on today. Leah. Put yourself in her shoes. We're told she's unattractive. She's probably grown up in little sister's shadow. Beautiful little sister's shadow. Dad clearly thinks that she's a liability and wants to unload her to another guy because otherwise he's going to be paying for her her entire life, and yet there's no guy knocking on his door to marry Leah. And so what's the best way that dad can get rid of Leah? By deceiving Jacob to marry her. She knows it. She knows it. What do you think she wants? What do you think she's feeling? I think she wants to be desired. She wants to be loved. She wants to be accepted, wanted. She doesn't want to be lonely anymore. She wants to feel appreciated, respected. And she didn't get it from dad. 
And now that she's married, she doesn't initially get it from husband either because his love is greater for Rachel than for her. But that doesn't mean she's not going to try. Here's what we're told. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Great news for Leah. She's pregnant. She's given something to husband, to Jacob, that little beautiful sister couldn't give, and that was a son. He's got a family now. He's got an heir to pass on his inheritance, his family name, and she did it for him. Surely he's going to love her now, right? Wrong. He didn't. So here's what happens next. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. Three sons. Still not loved. Still not wanted. Still not desired. Still not attached to Jacob. And look at that last line. Maybe now he'll become attached to me. Loved, desired, accepted, wanted, appreciated. It's what she wants. She wants to be made feel she wants to feel beautiful. And she's looking to Jacob for it. And she's trying to gain it by giving him sons, and yet it doesn't work. Jacob still loves Rachel more. So what are we to make of all this? It's your first point today. We all want to be loved. We all do. We all want to feel loved. Can you relate to Leah? I hope it's not her situation, but her feelings. She wants to feel loved, wanted, desired. Have you wanted to feel those things? Have you wanted to feel accepted? Have you wanted to feel beautiful or, guys, handsome? Have you wanted to feel filled and no longer lonely? That's what Leah wanted. And she looked to fill that from Jacob. Where are you looking for love? What are you doing to try to get love? If you're single, are you looking at the dating apps, looking to feel wanted and desired through clicks and swipes and likes and chatting? Are you looking to go from one person's arm on Friday to another's on Saturday to next week someone else's, thinking that that's what's going to fill your heart. The more people that desire you, the more, people, the more that you're going to be filled. If you're married, have you started looking elsewhere because you no longer feel wanted? You no longer feel desired? You no longer feel accepted, appreciated from this person? But if I have that person, then I will. 
Maybe you're married and, and you don't want, you're not looking some, for someone else. Maybe your relationship is broken and you think the way that, I, that I'm going to feel full again, the way that my heart's going to heal is if this fixes, if this mends, and I'm willing to do anything to fix it. But maybe you're, the way you want to be loved and, and desired, maybe it's not in a spousal thing. Maybe it's from mom and dad. Maybe you want the respect, the love, the appreciation from mom, from dad. Maybe you want to, to, to feel like they love you and you are working as hard as you can to feel loved by them. Or maybe it's your child. Maybe you want to know that your child loves you and appreciates you and, and wants you in their life. And you're willing to do just about anything to have it. You see, we all want to be loved. We all want to be desired. And it's what's behind this idol that sits on the throne of our hearts, love. And we're willing to obey it and trust it to bring fulfillment. The danger behind it is your second point. Nobody will fully satisfy our desire for love. They may for a little bit, but they won't fully satisfy you forever. The danger is what we see in Leah. She keeps going to Jacob. She keeps going to Jacob to be loved, and if I just have his love, and yet what does Jacob keep doing? Disappointing and disappointing and disappointing. And every night, she's left frustrated, angry, hurt, sad as she watches as Jacob goes into the arms of little sister. No matter if it's mom, dad, son, daughter, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, if you look to them to fill that hole in your heart of being desired and wanted, it's going to end like Leah did in disappointment, in hurt, in frustration in loneliness because nobody can fully satisfy our desire to be loved. They just can't. And now we're left with a problem, aren't we? Because we can remove that person from our heart but there's still the hole there. How do we fill it? What's the solution? Again, let's look to Leah. Last verse for today. She, that's Leah, conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Do you see the difference between this child and the three before? There's not as much urgency, is there? There's not as much discontentment. There's not as much working. Why? not because she's holding a, a, her son. It's her fourth son. It's not because she had Jacob's love. She didn't have it. Instead, it seems Leah found what she was looking to Jacob for from the Lord. She found from the Lord what dad Laban couldn't give her. She found the Lord, and he filled her heart with love and desire. 
And that's why she names her son Judah, which is a Hebrew word which means praise. She's just going to praise the Lord because of what he's done for her. And do you know what's amazing? If we turn to Matthew chapter 1, it's the the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1, the beginning of Jesus' story, is a genealogy. And what do we hear? Abraham was a father to Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah. Leah's first three sons weren't the ancestors of Jesus. Rachel's two sons weren't the ancestors of Jesus, but Judah the fourth son, the son where Leah says, I'm just going to praise the Lord because of what I found in him. It's from his family line that the Savior of the world came. It's when she found the Lord's love. Would you do anything for love? Like I said, Meatloaf says he's going to run into hell and back. And yet I bet... If Meatloaf stood at the gates of hell and we said, go on in, he'd say no. Because hell is that terrible. Hell is that grief-filled, that painful. Hell is that bad that none of us would want to go there. And yet the God of this world, Jesus, when he was presented with that question, would you do anything for love? Jesus said yes. And what did he do? He ran into hell. He left heaven and came to this earth and ran to the cross where he ran directly into hell for you. Because that's how much he loves you. There at the cross, Jesus paid for all of our sins because he loves you. And then he came back. You see, if you want to feel loved, if you want to feel desired and wanted, meditate on Jesus. Think of how much God wants and desires you that he would run into hell to have you as his own. He would run into hell because he wants a relationship with you, not just now, but forever in heaven. He wants you and desires you for eternity. If you want to feel accepted and appreciated, look to Jesus who lived perfectly in your place. He kept God's law perfectly, never disobeying it once, and then gave you that perfect record. So now when he looks at you, he sees you 100% perfect. He sees you as if you've never sinned. And the God of this world says, I accept you. You are righteous in my sight. You are mine. And he loves to hear from you. If you want to feel beautiful, look to Jesus. Because the ugliness of sin the disgustingness of our shame and guilt, he washed away and he's made us radiant in his sight, Ephesians 5 says. Radiant and beautiful in his sight because our sin is washed away. The God of this world looks at you and thinks you're beautiful. If you're tired of feeling lonely and you're looking to fill that hole, look to Jesus who says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I am with you always. The God of this world says that he is with you wherever you go. If you want to feel loved, if you want to feel desired, wanted, appreciated, look to Jesus and you will be filled. And that's your last point. Jesus' love is the only love 
that satisfies. If you want to be married, if you want your kids to love you, if you want mom and dad to love you, those are good things. But place the proper expectation on them. Don't put godly expectations on them that only God can fill because you will crush them. Let God fill the hole in your heart. Let him sit on the throne of your heart and those relationships will take its proper place. And you will feel loved, you'll feel satisfied, you'll feel desired, you'll feel wanted, appreciated, you'll feel beautiful because of Jesus. And then we'll be like Leah and we'll praise the Lord. God be with you this week as you meditate on your Savior Jesus, as you grow in his love for you and you will feel wanted, desired. That loneliness will go away and you will feel beautiful and accepted by him. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we praise and thank you that you loved us so incredibly much that you came to this world and you went to the cross. Not only did you go to the cross and die, but you ran into hell and back for us all out of love. That's how much you desire us, you want us, and you want to be with us for eternity. And this is you, the God of this world, saying this. Help us to always find satisfaction in you. Help us to feel loved by you. And let us uh, keep people in their proper place. They are not God, you are God. And only you can fill that hole that's in our heart, both now and forever. Let us pursue you this week, because we know that you are pursuing us like always. Help us to feel loved and desired by you. Let us meditate on you uh, so that we know that we are loved and appreciated and accepted by the God of this world. And that gives us confidence. That heals our hearts and that fills our hearts now and forever. In your name we pray. Amen.